Welcome back to the Stab Podcast channel. I'm your co-host, Stace Galbraith, and we are back for another edition of Red Bull No Contests. This week, we're heading to Morocco. If you haven't already checked out the episode, it's online now. I'll be joined once again by Mr. Ashton Goggins. He gave us a great rundown on last week's show about San Francisco. This week, we're going to dive into a bit of a behind-the-scenes look into what makes Morocco so hospitable. Along for the ride with him on this journey was Nacho Gonzalez, Carly Bast, Laura Coviella, along with a couple of iconic locals, Otman Chufani, none other than Ramsey Bukiam, and Sofani Cherub. The original plan for Ashton was to go there for six days. He ended up staying for two months. And I think if you watch the episode online, you truly understand why it's one of the most special places in the world. Not only for its surf, but its rich culture, cuisine and the hospitality that he was shown while he was there if it's not on one of your hit list destinations for a surf trip i think it will be after watching this episode in the meantime let's catch up with ashton mr ashton goggins welcome back to the program it's been a long time my friend it's been too long stace uh it's nice to be with you here in los angeles we're both on little layovers on the way to and from our respective responsibilities uh we just finished up at the WSL finals. I'm on my way back from like six months on the road. Uh, you're on your way back for the, from your first trip to America in five years. Yeah, it feels dandy. It must feel different for you, though. You used to chase this tour around, and now no contest has taken a life as, of its own. Explain it to me. Yeah, so two years ago, um, Anthony Sedgwick and the guys at Red Bull um, came at us with the idea of basically taking no contest uh, and the idea of it is this culturally sort of curious travel show and taking it to places that have been either underexplored or sort of deserve a more thorough look um, and using as, using No Contest as a platform to tell local stories, local surf histories, and to explore more remote parts of the surfing ecosystem internationally. So last season we did Brazil, Costa Rica, Fiji, New York City, Italy, and Israel. And the response was epic. In a six episode series, we were able to tell like 60 different character profiles. And it becomes these like super dense, like deep dives into uh, either a surf scene or a culture that people have like a somewhat shallow sense of from what's been done in the surf media before and really like tries to see what makes these different places so unique. Um, so this year we got to do Morocco, San Francisco, South Africa, and Tahiti. Uh, and the first episode that we shot was Morocco, which we started off in the very beginning of March. When you go into these locations, what's a rough time frame, you know, particularly for someone like Morocco, you, you kind of need to hang out there, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the trips we've done as quickly as like seven or eight days, and I feel like we've made great episodes out of them, but some of the locations definitely require a lot more time. And Morocco was originally supposed to be like a six-day swell strike, which we planned right on the tail end of the WSL event at Anchor Point. Cali Vost had just won, and a bunch of our friends were around from Europe and we had like this opportunity to bring a really like 
cool international crew of surfers that had been part of No Contest before. Um, we brought Goni Zubizareta, the crew from Pukas, Adur Letzmandia, and Marcos, and we brought uh, the posse from Israel, Arthur Rashkovan from Clinica Surf and the Tel Aviv Surf Film Festival, uh, Noah and Anat Lelior, the two Israeli girls that we profiled in the first season, um, and Marco Mignot, who had just won the European QS, who's like, to me, like, one of those kids who, in the next few years, every single person will know his name. He'll be like a world champ contender, world title contender. Um, and so we had, we were originally planning on going for six days, and I ended up staying for two months. <laughs> I like couldn't leave. There was like so much to do and see, and I knew that I wouldn't really have the opportunity to spend that much time at any other location because of the different crews that we were flying in, the time frames that we had to work with. And so I took advantage of it and just like dove in. And I was lucky enough to be hosted the entire time by Otman Shufani, who anyone who's traveled around the world chasing waves at some point will have encountered Otman. He's like, in my mind, he's probably the most famous surfer in the world amongst famous surfers. Everyone knows Otman. And him and Ramsey and the crew of Moroccans are like known around the world as like these super warm, open, funny, like charismatic characters. And Morocco as a country is known for its like hospitality. It's like you hear it everywhere, Moroccan hospitality. And Otman was the epitome of that for the entire time that we were there. So we flew in with Otman and then from there it was just like sort of making one connection after another as I started to sort of like dive into the sort of texture of that place. Um, and by the end of that trip, I felt like I had spent time with pretty much everyone that has been a part of Moroccan surf culture over the past like 50 years. You mentioned that there's not a huge surf shaping scene in Morocco one way or another. Tell us who you found and tell us something we don't know about them. Morocco's interesting and in it's like development timeline most people have seen footage of Morocco from like the 70s when Nat Young and Wayne Lynch and a lot of those guys started going through there. But it didn't really become like a modern sort of surf destination with a supporting like surf industry until about 10 or 15 years ago. And these days it's one of the most visited surf destinations on the planet. Something like a million surfers fly into Morocco each year. And there's surf camps all over the place. There's surf shops. All the major surf brands have a presence there. But there isn't nearly the same sort of... Uh, there isn't the same culture in shaping. And the reason for that is that for some reason Morocco they place these very unusual high taxes on raw materials for surfboard manufacturing. Basically, a surfboard blank gets taxed at the cost of a finished surfboard. And resin, fiberglass, sandpaper, it's all very, very cost prohibitive for shapers to get uh, a hold of. And so they rely on visiting surfers to bring blanks and materials a lot of the times, and it's this very like root backyard devoted like craft driven culture there's no big surfboard factories it's all like really small little shops and we got to spend time with Fad Elmania who's the first surfboard shaper that's indigenous to Morocco he started shaping about 25 years ago and builds boards just outside of Anchor Point 
Yeah, can you explain like, why the cost of materials are so high here? It's a, such a big problem because the one they don't understand what does it mean like a blank. They think it's like a, a done board. So they have to post the price of what a board in Ripcurl costs. So they see on the website a 9,000 dirham and then they said, oh, the board is like 9,000. So you have to pay the tax for 9,000. It's only a blank. In Morocco, so you buy the supply and you buy the road. Yeah. To make that supplies comes through uh, yeah. through through you. You can see three world class waves from your door. Yeah, thanks to God. He was such a sweet guy and super intelligent. He's hosted tons of surfers and shapers over the years. When we were there, Torn Martin's like sprinter van from all the projects that he's filmed there is like sitting out front, and he's basically hosted. American surfers and shapers there since the early 90s um, and that is the type of culture that they have there it's a more sort of like craft driven guys coming through bringing templates and different boards and sort of experimenting and they have one of the best sort of testing grounds you could ever imagine for surfboard design it's one rippable right hand point after another for 25 miles from where they live um, and it's a short drive from a fairly accessible airport in Agadir. Um, and we also got to meet Yusuf Almoda, who's a shaper up in Casablanca. He lives right in front of one of the better lefts in Morocco. I think most people think of Morocco and they think of like long, drawn out right point breaks, but there's a bunch of really rippable lefts on the northern coast of Casablanca and Rabat, and there's this way of La Boubine. And his family has this property right in front of it that they've owned for, you know, a couple, you know, probably 50 or 60 years. And he has a little shaping bay that overlooks the, the little left and builds beautiful sort of like retro style longboards and fishes and sort of like cool, heavily glass, resin tinted, traditional boards, wood fins and does everything by hand. He's like this super like mystical character. Um, and so we were able to go spend time with him up in Casablanca and to check out that scene. <laughs> I am Youssef Almoda. I made boards 12 years ago and uh, from Casablanca. Feel uh, proud and so lucky to, to be part of this place. So for me, surfing it was kind of big adventure because we wait for the winter and we went to Agadir area to meet Australian surfers and just trying to get them boards before they leave. It was the only way to get a board, so forget about Wizard. Yeah, it was crazy stuff. You mentioned Morocco has some world-class lefts, although it's known for its rights. Yeah. What are the directions of swell you're actually looking for when you're traveling to a place like Morocco? So Morocco is super consistent. Um, there's probably like a three-month period from May to the end of August where it gets windy and somewhat flat in that area of the Atlantic, but basically from early fall until the middle of spring to end of spring, that area of the Atlantic is so, so busy with surf for eight months out of the year. You, all, any Nazare swell, huge northwest or west ground swells that you get from those big storms in the Atlantic, and they get groomed offshore winds and long period ground swell every single one of those pulses. And basically from Safi south, Safi is about two and a half hours from Casablanca and about three and a half hours from Marrakesh, sort of dead set in the middle between Anchor Point and Casablanca. 
from southeast south, it's just one right point break after another. That when you get those big North Atlantic swells, it's like a choose your own adventure of what type of a point break you want to go surf. You want to get tubed, you want to surf by yourself, you want to surf like novelty, like little rock coves and wedges and ramps. There's every variety of wave you could possibly fucking want to surf. Um, and misto big waves. I know that Greg Long and Mark Healy and Ian Walsh and those guys have have been talking to Ottman for years about doing a, um, a WSL big wave like invitational event in Morocco because there's two waves that a lot of those guys think that on the right swell could potentially have like one of the biggest waves that you could ever surf in the Atlantic. Between there and a wave in, in the Canary Islands, there's like two big wave spots that everybody thinks has like monumental potential. But Ottman is the one who's basically pioneered all those waves with Jerome Sayoon and, um, and that crew. And yeah, it was crazy to see just the density of waves and the variety of waves within that coastline. It was a place that I felt like, even in, the, in spending two months there, I felt like I'd only like scratched the surface of what you can experience along that coastline. Only in recent years has Morocco been seen as like a really like well-known, safe, international tourist destination, whether you're a surfer or just someone who's interested in going and going to Marrakesh and experiencing like the sort of market culture and seeing all the textiles and fabrics and, you know, pattern making stuff and all the like handmade goods that Morocco is known for. It's a place that people have just started to come around to as being it's an Islamic country, which for a lot of people in the West, like has its own, their own connotations, but it is a country that it feels universally open to any type of culture coming through there. And you realize that it's from this ancient tradition of the people that are from there, the Berbers, who have dealt with travelers coming through the deserts for thousands of years needing water and food and shelter without having the means to pay for it. And it's just part of their culture to welcome people no matter what. And you feel that everywhere you go, whether you're like walking through a market in Marrakesh or you're in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And people have pointed to, to two major things that have sort of broken down people's perceptions of Morocco. The first was Morocco getting third in the World Cup and it being put on the map as this sort of uh, international, like, sporting culture and a real, like, uh, shining example of African um, culture on the world stage. And then Ramsey becoming uh, an Olympian um, for surfing. For a long time, surf culture was seen as this, like, dropout, sort of hippie, uh, drug culture in Morocco, which there's still parts of that there. It's still the number one producer of hash in the world, but it also has this like incredible potential similar to a country like Brazil to create world-class athletes, whether it's in soccer, which is huge there, or surfing now with Ramsey and Ottman. And it's funny, I remember years ago reading a Surfer's Journal article that Tom Curran wrote about going to Morocco in like 2013 and he talks about Ramsey and Ottman as being these like super talented young kids. And now you see Ottman, he's one of the best big wave surfers in the world. And Ramsey, who if, you know, if not for a series of unfortunate events, would be on tour demolishing people. 
Um, and for a lot of people, uh, I think it was really cool to see the like wild card for Ramsey movement when they announced that Kelly and I forget who else got the wild card, but Ramsey was supposed to, he was like number one on the list. And I think it's, it would be massive for the Islamic community to have a surfer on the world tour like Ramsey, who Ramsey is every surfer on the world qualifying series, favorite surfer. Everyone loves Ramsey. He's the sweetest dude. And the way that he carries himself around the world and represents Morocco as a figure, he's like the greatest ambassador. Him and Ottman both. They're just like these balls of sunshine that travel around the world, like spreading Moroccan hospitality. Um, and so it was cool to sit down with Ramsey in France, where he was recovering from his injury, to talk about that and like what makes Morocco such a unique culture. I'm very lucky. I really think that right now I'm in the moment that is really good for me and for this place. Ten years ago I used to go to Bali and people would be like, you have waves in Morocco? Now like you see there's a guy on the city, my best friend Ramsey. It's pretty cool to be a part of that and to see it and just trying to show a good image of who we are. Like the hospitality for us is important. We grew up like that. Like for me, when I go to someone's house, they try to make me feel like I'm in their house. And you just need to show the minimum respect and they will open all the doors. I've done it all with Ackman. <laughs> I've done it all. He's my brother from day one and uh, man, he's a funny, smart, crazy character, man. Everyone that meets Ackman that I knew before comes to me and says, this guy's a legend. Your friend is crazy, he's a legend. I'm like, yeah, I told you before. Well, without a doubt, easily two of the most loved pro surfers uh, in the world, those two guys, you know, Ottman on the big wave tour and then Ramsey obviously qualifying for the world tour and like you said, a, an unfortunate injury there just led him to be unfortunately recovering for the better part of the year. Um, it is good to see him back on his feet now though and I know, you know, like you said, the support for him to get the wild card was a, was a big thing for him and I know that kept him up and about when his spirits were down. So, you know, we're looking forward to seeing him back at full strength. Uh yeah, Ramsey's, he's a unit, man. And watching him surf Safi, I mean, that wave, I think for most people, when they think of Morocco, they think about Safi. It's, to me, it's probably one of the top five best right points in the world. I think Ramsey would argue that it's the best wave in the world. But, yeah, to see how honed all of their backhands are, for the most part, all the guys that we hung with, who are sort of like the guys in Morocco. It was Ottman, Ramsey, and Sufyan Sharoub. They're all goofy foots, and they all live in the land of the best rights in the world. And you'd think it would be a disadvantage, but then you see Ramsey out at Safi, like, ass-dragging through, like, 100-yard-long, off-the-wall, sand-bottom pits. Like, no problem. You're like, oh, it's probably the best place on the planet to hone your backhand to what those guys' backhands look like. Oh, without a doubt, one of the best places in the world to refine your, your backhand tube riding. And I guess that's one of the, the coolest things about surfing is you do get to travel to all these different parts of the world. And growing up in a place like that for Ramsey is going to have him prepared to go anywhere, particularly, you know, the hospitality, like you mentioned. That's one of the coolest things about surfing, um, that culture of kind of no matter where you go, having that common interest we'll look after you here. When I come to Hawaii, you'll look after me there. But the Western world, like you mentioned, has this idea in their head about what Islamic countries are. 
when when you go to these places, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, how was your experience? Yeah, it's interesting. I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida in a very religious Christian area. And I think most people that I've talked to have been most curious about what it's like to travel to Morocco out of all the places I've traveled because they think of it as this Islamic country. And when, you know, with people that have a very limited understanding of both that religion and the regions of the world that practice that religion, it's easy to have stereotypical images in your mind of what it's like to go there. And for me, Morocco couldn't have been further from any of those stereotypical senses of what an Islamic country would be like. Um, Morocco is unique in that the culture isn't Arab. The, the Berber culture there is very indigenous to that region. So it separates a little bit along cultural lines, even though it's all religiously Islamic. Um, it's It has its own unique, like, sort of flavor to it that a lot of people find much more tolerant than a lot of other Islamic regions. Um, the only real differences that you'd feel in a place like Morocco versus somewhere like Bali is that for the most part, you don't find booze anywhere in Morocco. You have to go to really like specialized alcohol stores that only sell alcohol to foreigners with passports. Like you can't legally buy booze as a Moroccan Islamic citizen. Um, inside all-inclusive resorts and restaurants that cater to foreigners that you can get booze. But for the most part, it's a dry country. And you feel that in a really positive way. You don't deal with any of the like weird drunkenness that a place like Baja or Puerto Escondido, you know, has in Mexico or no offense to the Australians, but like pub culture in Australia, like people getting drunk and getting in fights. It's like people sitting around drinking mint tea and maybe smoking hash, but it's like, that's the extent of the sort of like, like weird sketchy culture that you could get caught up in and it's harmless um it's there's a few things that i think people often get caught off guard by we watched a bunch of australians get fucking hammered because they would just strip down naked to change in the parking lot at a place like anchor point because it's so standard in a place like australia to just put on, you know, whatever, take off your wetsuit, put on your board shorts, like, no big deal. And in Morocco, it's very disrespectful to be naked in public. It's, especially if there's any women around, like, you will get chased out of a parking lot. And it's a fairly easy thing to avoid. Um, And then, as far as anything else goes, it's a super tolerant country. I mean, we were there during Ramadan, which is the holiest month of the Islamic year. It's celebrated on the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, which shifts each year, I think 15 days backwards. So each year it's celebrated at a different point of time, and it's 30 days of fasting from sunup to sundown. Muslims don't drink water, they don't eat, they don't smoke cigarettes, they don't have sex. And each day at the end of the day, right at sundown, they do a prayer, and then they all have this like big dinner which is technically called a breakfast. They break their fast with it. It's called a store, and it basically has some element of pretty much every meal in one dish. So you'll have something that's kind of breakfasty, something that's like a lunch dish, and then something that's like a sort of traditional dinner. And the food there is like, unlike anywhere else you'll ever have 
on the planet. It's a mix of so many different regional spices and cooking techniques and different ingredients as far as proteins and fresh seafood. And the place is like one of the most ridiculously flavorful regions that you could ever travel through. You never, ever get bored eating food in Morocco. Like no matter where you're going, you're going to get fresh seafood, super like unique, interesting dishes that you won't find anywhere else. Yeah, you got to spend a lot of time there. I'm sure that um, you got to experience a lot of things that just people passing by wouldn't actually get to be around, you know. One of those things was the Safi Invitational. A wave like that being held exclusively for the locals, it must have been pretty special to watch that go down. Yeah, that was a trip. It's funny, that event got called on the day that I decided to extend my trip right off the bat. We were supposed to be there for six days, and I basically just canceled my flight, and my wife was flying in to film with Hannah Scott and Leanne Curran, and Sad and Mehdi Sergini called Ottman and said, hey, I think we're going to run the Safi Invitational, which was an event that they'd been sort of hypothetically talking about for years. About seven or eight years ago, a clip came out of a Ritz Aramburu surfing Safi at night, lit up by these giant military lights. And it like lit the world on fire, like seeing what you could pull off at that wave at night with those types of conditions with nobody else out in the water. And Sad and Mehdi had been fundamental along with Jerome Sayoon with like figuring out how you can light up this wave and do an event. And after almost pulling it off and then COVID and no swell a few years, a swell popped up the first 10 days that we were there that looked like it was going to be the biggest swell of the year. And Sad called us and was like, I think we're going to pull the trigger. And immediately they called up as many surfers as they could sort of get to come and surf with the best guys from Morocco for a single day event at Safi. And by the time it was, I think a Monday morning that Sad called it on and the event happened on Friday. And by Friday they had like brought in like a full blown, like military level degree of infrastructure as far as lights and scaffolding and built this huge production right on the point at Safi with the whole place lit up um, like such an incredible undertaking to pull off in four days and Brett Barley uh, Mason Barnes Mark Lacamere like a whole crew flew in from Europe a bunch of the girls Laura Coviella Justine DuPont Leanne Currens and Hannah Scott surfed in it um, and as a proof of concept the event was insane. Basically, all the surfers were flown in and stayed at Mehdi's family's little sort of bed and breakfast Riyadh right above the point at Safi and were treated to like the most incredibly like luxe experience of coming to Safi, like pulling into the most beautiful cafe and hotel that's all, you know, hundred year old tile that was handmade down the street at their family's pottery studio having dinner before the event with like 30 of the best surfers from Morocco and bodyboarders. Um, part of the culture in Safi is there's a huge bodyboarding scene who are some of the best bodyboarders in the world. So they had bodyboarders from all over Europe, the U.S., um, all staying at, at Mehdi's family's place. And the event started in the morning. It was like eight foot in the morning. 
Yoni Klein, who we profiled in the Israel episode last year, um, who's at pretty much every swell that, that hits Safi. The first heat of the day got a 10-point ride, like double barrel from out the back. And the whole day was pretty much Safi as good as it gets, a four-hour break in the afternoon, and then the finals held at night under stadium light. And Mark Lacamere and Justine DuPont won. And I think the contest put the... It put the event on the map as far as like international specialty events, and I think over the next few years, uh, it's going to be developed into I think one of the most prestigious non-tour events out there, um, and it's cool to see because Morocco has so much firepower from an international level as far as the government goes of supporting events like this, and there's so many surfers that might not be on the world tour but who are super like specialists in certain types of waves or surfers that people would like to see in events like that that will be so excited to fly in at the drop of a hat knowing that they get to score Safi with two other people in the water or three other people in the water for eight hours uh, and then get like I said to experience Moroccan hospitality from the absolute most legendary crew of original locals from Morocco that are putting on this event. Um, yeah, it was rad. And it was, it was particularly rad. Sad um, is like a full-on diplomatic figure within the country. When Jill Biden was visiting Morocco uh, a month and a half ago, Sad was like her guide through Marrakesh. Their family are some of the most sought-after ceramic artisans in the history of ceramic uh, pottery in Morocco. Uh, his father is world-renowned. His work lives in royal palaces and the residences of princes and uh, diplomats all over the world. He's known for this super technical gold-leaf hand-painted pottery. Um, and we got to go and visit at his studio with Lilia Tabai and Ines Tabai. Um, Lilia's the African... She's a three-time, I think, Moroccan champ and I think an African champion as well. She's a goofy foot from Casablanca. But they got to cruise with us and to go to their studio and learn how to make pottery and we got a few pieces like hand signed by him for us and yeah, it was such a cool day. Um just hanging at Safi with those guys. Well you got to catch up with them, so let's take a listen to uh what they thought about the place and maybe what they thought about you. Your family obviously is a big part of it, but has Safi always been famous for ceramics and yes, pottery? It was uh, famous for ceramics since the Phoenicians, 13,000 years before uh, the first uh, date. It's the Phoenicians that bring the ceramic culture to Safi, because Safi have, uh, is very famous for the clay. It's red, full of uh, oxide of uh, iron. Yeah. Let's make it strong and compact. Let's make it like more shiny when it's uh, on the kiln. We have two exhibitions here. We have first exhibition is upstairs. Second exhibition is here. That's all the traditional work and design and color also. How do you find my ink? It's very yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome to hear from them. What I'd like to know is like, how easy is it to get around there? Uh, you know, you see bits and pieces of images online and you know, it looks like fairly remote. What's it like traveling between the waves? And then further that, what are the variety of waves like? Like, do you have to be 
top level pro to surf there or is there a bunch of different waves around that cater to everyone yeah i didn't know what to expect going to morocco um and i was baffled at how accessible pretty much everywhere was and how easy it was to get around if i was you know a lot of people ask me like what would you do like i would tell people to fly into marrakesh rent you can basically rent these little sort of Eurovan style little mini sprinters for about 30 or 40 bucks a day. Uh, and with a vehicle that doesn't have four wheel drive, you can pretty much get to 95% of the places that you want to get to. It's super affordable. There's surf camps everywhere. If you want to stay in a really easy sort of like family vibe, little bed and breakfast, you can stay in in Tagazoo at a place called Triangulo, um, right across the street, there's the nicest sort of five-star, all-inclusive yoga and surf resort that you could ever stay at called Paradise Plage, which most surfers that have filmed surf edits in the past two or three years have stayed there. When we were there, we hosted probably five crews of surfers. The O'Neill crew came through, Harry Bryant came through filming for his movie, Aton Osborne came through, with a monster crew the billabong team came through and stayed for four or five days it was like a constant cycle of pro surfers coming in russ Bierke came through and stayed um and it starts to feel like definitely one of those like little like energy centers of the surf world in that zone in tagazoot and chasing waves around there is super easy most of the waves are pretty predictable as far as what tides they work on what winds and for the most part there's sheltered corners that you can predict what time of day they're going to work depending on what the winds are going to do and what the tides are going to do. Anchor Point's probably the most consistent and most accessible wave. It's right off the side of the freeway. You pull in, you pay basically 50 cents for someone to watch your car in the parking lot. and You pull up right to the point and there's like a whole scene. There's guys bringing you donuts and these little carts and fresh tea for a dollar and one of the most complicated things about most of the waves in, in Morocco is the entry points. There's waves that are not that difficult to waves to surf, but they're incredibly fucking dangerous to get in and out of. And there's also waves that are as easy as waves as you could find as far as getting in and out of and paddling out. Um, the most critical thing I can encourage people to do is to sit and pay attention for just like 15 or 20 minutes before they try and figure out where they're going to jump in the water and just watch where people are jumping in, where they're coming in when they are wanting to get out. Because I can't tell you how many times I would find people out of breath, freaking out, trying to figure out how to climb in at Anchor Point or how to get in at Dracula's or, you know, whether they should just climb up the rocks or go half a mile down the beach to some little sand little cove that they can see from where they're sitting and each spot has its own little nuances but once you figure them out there's very few waves that are really that sketchy it's just about knowing exactly where to get in and out and I would say that there there's a handful of waves that are about as difficult as somewhere like Bay or Ulu's or somewhere like that where there's like a very defined keyhole there's a place that you do not want to end up and there's ways to avoid and predict both um, but for people going there, there's every level of degree of difficulty, every variety of power, length, 
I mean, it's a choose your own adventure of types of waves as far as what you want to get into. We kept finding ourselves going back to a place called Imswan, which is this super fun, long, soft, right point that I would compare to somewhere like the pass in Byron Bay or Malibu. It's a sand point that goes for a mile and a half. There's between 100 and 300 surfers in the water, all totally happily accommodated with waves. And if you're paddling up the point, you'd probably hear 10 different languages spoken. There's tons of Moroccans out teaching people how to surf and really cool little like locally owned businesses that have popped up along the point. And it's a really good example of how surf development can get as big as it can possibly get and still maintain somewhat of a tolerable anarchy and still benefit the local community because it feels like all of the people that are there that grew up there have new opportunities. All of the people that are visiting get, I mean, for the most part, every single person that has paddled out to serve him Swan has gotten one of the longest or best waves of their lives. No matter if they're a little kid or an old lady learning how to surf, it's like one of those places that it's laughable how much fun everybody's having when you show up. And we got to spend like pretty much the last, I would say, five or six days there with a whole crew hanging on the point, surfing, just sort of talking and doing interviews. And it was like the perfect way to wrap up like 60 days in a country that I had absolutely no preconceptions about. But after I left, it felt like a full on second home. And the, and the people who I'd met, like really felt like family. I feel like it's a place that after that trip, I will block off a period of my calendar each year and go and spend time in that place with those people. Uh, Cause I've never had a place leave an impression on me like that. 